Hello everyone, I'm Matthew Delvedova and this is The Delhi Podcast. The show features people I find interesting in the world of sports and entertainment, health and fitness, business and startups. We'll discuss a wide range of topics including things like self-improvement and growth, personal journeys, pivotal career moments and much more. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Remember, if you enjoy this content, be sure to subscribe to the Daily Podcast on Apple or wherever else you listen to your podcast. All right, let's get started. All right, welcome to the Daily Podcast. Very special guest today, Coach Randy Bennett from St. Mary's, my college coach for four years. Thanks for coming on. Great to be on. Thanks, Daly. This is uh, going to be fun. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. So, I want to go back to the very start of you taking over St. Mary's in 2001. It's your first head coaching job. Uh, you inherit a team that was 2-27 and 27 the year before. What are you thinking coming in? Uh, what culture do you want to establish? And what are the first few things you did? Yeah, uh, great question. The, uh, I was, the first thing I was happy to finally become a head coach, honestly. And I didn't, uh, people asked me, why, why'd you take the St. Mary's job? Was, at that time, uh, it, it was the first chance I had to be a head coach. So I, I was totally excited and looked forward to it. I never, I didn't even really know what I was getting into as far as they had, St. Mary's been struggling at that point, but I just, it just didn't, I didn't even think about it be honest and I, when I I don't know I guess this is just kind of how I see things is I just thought we could win um, I didn't see any reason we couldn't and uh, so the thought of not winning never it really never entered my mind so uh, first thing I did was uh, and I think it's the most important thing is I hired a good staff like I made sure I think coaching staff's huge. And I had uh, Kyle Smith, Lamont Smith, and Dan Shell, And they're all guys I knew and trusted. And we just started building. We just went to work and started building. And uh, I think one of the other first things I did was once – I think I got the job during spring break. So the players weren't around yet. And uh, so once I got them all together, I, had, I remember this to this day. Like we had our first team meeting. And I, they, had, they had lost so much that they beat down by losing, which can happen. And I hadn't dealt with it that much, but it was real. And so I, I just started them all off with uh, – which I would – same thing I do with our guys now. But, hey, you got a fresh start. I never went back and watched the film from the year before. And so everybody got a fresh start. I told them, listen, here's the deal. We're starting. We're starting with a clean slate, and here's here's what we want. And basically, it's the same thing we're selling today. Like we started working on our work ethic right away, and there were some good workers in there. They just they just had to be held accountable and knew that that really mattered to the coach and staff. So, work ethic and attitude. I really hit hard. I hit being a team hard and I hit leadership hard and those are the same four things that I would say we try and work on with our guys today but those were the two biggies get coaching staff and get our players working and through that eventually we got confidence and got better and better and better and it was uh, if I if I would have been a little better coach then had a little more head coaching experience we could have won a few more games we won nine that first game First year, yeah, we probably would could have won a little more, but uh, you know we were we were all learning as we were going. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, not long after that, uh, you got your first Aussie in, and uh, that kind of kicked off the Australian pipeline. Can you can you give us the story? I mean, everyone I'm sure always asks you, and they always ask me why there's so many Aussies at St Mary's. Can you can you tell us how that went down? I can tell you exactly how it went down. And it, it was uh, – we we were trying to get good players, right? And right then at St. Mary's in the Bay Area, 
we <laughs> people weren't banging down our door to try and come and play St. Mary's. We would hear from every coach who had a player who wasn't getting an offer that, hey, we got we got a guy for you. And there were some bad options. So we had to be careful not to just take anybody. So we were we had a couple scholarships late in the summer, like July, which is kind of late. And uh, anyhow, a guy, guy from Arizona State, assistant, they had just gone over there on a foreign tour and played against AIS, which is where you played and where all the, most of the players played. And uh, and they saw him and he they had, I think Marty and them and. Uh, made a point to tell ASU that, hey, this guy wants to come over. He's looking for a school. Can you help? So anyhow, this guy uh, told me about it, and I followed up, talked to Marty, and we just took him. We, I talked to – it was Adam Caporn, and I talked to him one time, and I pretty much – I offered, I said, hey, you want to come here? Because <laughs> we didn't have much time. It was probably early August, and we were starting school in late August, and I, I – it never recruited guys from Australia, so I didn't know all the the visa stuff and all that. But anyhow, we took him pretty much based on a recommendation. I talked to Marty Clark, who was who was since then become a really good friend and coached on my staff, and you played for Marty. But I didn't know Marty very well either. So I, I but I talked to Marty, I talked to the kid, I went based on the recommendation. From the from the Arizona State assistant and Adam showed up and uh, he showed up first day of the conditioning and jumped right in and anyhow it was it was a hit and Adam had uh, he had such a good team attitude and a great worker good really good leadership for a freshman so. He told me about Daniel Kicker, and he was really – he really undersold Daniel. And he said, hey, I think we have another guy over there maybe next year that could maybe help us. And so we followed up on that, and uh, and Kicker ended up being really good and all-time leading scorer at St. Mary's at the time. And uh, so anyhow, that's how it all started. It was pretty fluky, but Adam did such a – he was such a stud as a – he was a good player, but he was such a stud as a leader, person, really good student that I, I trusted him. And, and then Kicker was a stud, and then on and on, and then came, then came the others. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any other uh, Adam Caporn stories you can share about his time as a player? Because, I mean, we all know him now uh, as a coach, and – He's obviously doing a great job now uh, back at the Center of Excellence, which is the old AIS. Uh, Adam was uh, <laughs> Adam was great. He was uh, he and Kicker were like total opposites, and they'd always be going at each other. They're best of best of friends, but they would they were funny. They'd go at each other. Kicker always would get him would would dog him because. Capehorn was really smart, but he could never, he could never find his keys. He could never keep <laughs> track of. It. He showed up at a game with no shoes, and we would just. He was a little arrogant about how intelligent he was, so he would just get crushed on that stuff. He would, he would be an absent-minded professor at times. We, we had a good time with that. But Case was a great guy. He had. He was a hard worker, played hard, tough, and uh, a fun guy to poke fun at. Yeah, and then uh, he later on joined joined the staff, and uh, for how many years was it? Four or five? Yeah, Adam was here uh, four years with us, and uh, he, he, that's how much respect I had for Adam. Like he left after his sophomore year to go play pro over there, and you could. Like, at that time, we didn't need him leaving. We needed him to be a junior on a, on a really good team. But he took off and did that. But I just respected him so much as a, as a guy, as a leader, as a person, an intelligent guy, that when he got into coaching, 
and uh, I had a spot open and I checked with him and I just wanted, I wanted him on my staff. I thought he'd help us and, and he did. And he's, he's done a great job and, and moved up the coaching ranks over there and uh, part of the Olympic or last year's world championship staff. So proud of him. He's a good friend and uh, kind, of, kind of what you want your players to, you know, that's what you want. You want your players to man up and, become really successful and and he's done that yeah yeah okay now getting more towards the on-court stuff um the style of play saint mary's is known for um with people i talk to and over here and and in australia uh, just being so unselfish with great spacing um but the focus on threes and layups um i i came in in 2009 um, you did not like the mid-range shot, um, but I feel like you were ahead of your time here, and now it's all about threes and layups. NBA has kind of significantly uh, shifted um, since I came in in 2013 to now. Can you talk a bit about how and why and when this focus started? Uh, I would say, so early on when I came here, we weren't, running what we run now um uh, and by the time you came we were we are now um but it's it's just percentages and yeah. like I'm a, num I'm a numbers guy um and just kind of knew a open three versus a pull-up two no question you you want the open three if you can get it and then Getting it to the rim, you get to the foul line. So you need both of those. I am not, and I think I think uh, you can go over the top on this. I'm not a guy that says, "Hey, no, no mid range." There's a because of the clock and because of different guys. Depends how good you are at it, but there's there's a place for the mid range, the the floater. Um, yeah especially because of shot clock situations. So, and I think if, if you know the team's only going to shoot threes or, or layups and it makes it easier to guard. So you got to have that, yeah. you got to have that in between as well. But I think what happens, and this is kind of where, where I got to is people just settle. They'd settle for a tough two as opposed to fighting it out for an extra, another pass and another penetration and, that clock's at eight. You don't have to settle for a tough shot. You can, and that's where we got good. And we were good when you were here. And you, you were probably on the front end of that. Is we would just we 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 keep penetrating and kicking it out and attacking again until until we got a good one. And then eventually break teams down. Like they get tired of making a closeout. And they're going to make a mistake, and and that's kind of what we're banking on. So we've gotten better at it over the years. I think. Uh, I think it took it took us a little while to figure out that three and how to use it. And then I think on-ball screens, we were on the front end of that for sure. And we were kind of studying uh, D'Antoni with Nash about that time. And because we kind of thought you and Mickey were like, uh, were like Nash, a player like Nash that could do that. So we, we studied them and got our offense. Uh, a lot of our stuff kind of came from that time, and he was on he was on the front end of that as well. Yeah. So that's kind of and it, it's just kind of evolved. But you were on the front end of the heavy on balls for us, and the good shooters and playing out of the post, but the penetration and just I think the extra passes come with it, like the unselfishness. The extra passes come with it because yeah. we did we were pretty pretty detailed and not settling for a tough two. Yeah. Um, that, I guess an, a question that I just thought of is like, when we had Omar Samhan, my, my freshman year, I mean, obviously there was a heavy emphasis playing out of the post. Then we went more to on balls, but then you had um, Jock Landale and, and you're throwing it into him a lot. How do you, um, I guess, balance out switching, not switching styles, because I guess the principles are the same of spacing and, and ball movement, but um, how heavy a team goes on the post-ups versus uh, on balls. Yeah, I mean, common sense, like you want your best 
You want the ball in your best players' hands. Best players, not just one. But figure out, you know, that they should be making the plays and uh, or have the opportunity to make the plays, whether it's for them or for somebody else. If you have a good big, there's – I mean, you can you – can, Get to the rim, either penetration or throw it in the post. There's are both ways to attack the defense, get penetration. So, you know, we we figured that out, and uh, again, it just kind of morphed. We, if you have a good one, you want to put it inside more and more. Um, but you you want to balance. You gotta you gotta have, if you're gonna be any good, you gotta have both. You gotta you gotta be able to have get penetration through your guards or your perimeter players and so every year you evaluate the pieces you have and then you put the puzzle together. And so when you have a, a Londale and a, or an Omar or a Waldo, one of those guys, that's what you do. The other thing on that is they won't get good unless you throw it into them and they get to see, see that coverage time and time again. And you, as you know, we did that a lot in practice and we'd play out of the post a lot and we – figured out that our guys get pretty good and they make good decisions. And then when they get good enough to score over a single coverage, then, then you got it. Cause yeah. then you got to, they got to bring help from somewhere. And now your bigs get good at kicking out, which is what Omar did. He became a very willing passer and a good passer. And so did Londale. So I think it all goes together, but you got to get, got to give your best players the ball. Yeah. Yeah. And the, I guess tied in with the, the teamwork and, unselfishness, um, like St. Mary's teams and known for being tight and together. Um, how, how do you develop that as a team and, um, and in individuals? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. It's, uh, I think the single biggest thing is when you recruit them. Like how you recruit them is how you're going to get them. So, you just got to explain to them when you bring them in that, hey, this is what we're about. We want you to be part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And uh, so I think most of the guys that are attracted to us want that. And so if it starts with that, you got a, a good chance. And I, I honestly, I think the Australian kids, just because of the culture over there, and just kind of how it is over there, you would know this better than me, but it's not over there it's not about it's not about me it's not about beating your chest as much it's it's really i think most australian athletes aren't really comfortable with that like hey you're the guy you're this you're that they, they'll you're you're one of the best examples i know you'll deflect that in a second you'll get it on back onto the team or back onto somebody else and don't really want to just talk about yourself so the the unselfishness of the Australian kids really help our program. And that's kind of, that's how I think it should be. And that's kind of how I was raised and we came up as more, more like that, but it's changed over the years a little bit for obvious reasons. And, uh, but kids still like it. Kids still like to be part of a team and part of something bigger than themselves. I, I think you see it. I think the Spurs are that. And then there's others. But that one just sticks out to me is it's a it's about being a good teammate. It's about enjoying other success. And so everything we do now, like we talk about it all the time. So we don't beat them over the head with it. But first we start with guys who are into that, into being part of a team and want to win more so than they want to necessarily be all league or something like that. Those things that our guys know, they those the individual awards will come if the team has success. So, um, yeah, we just we emphasize our leadership from our players. We really talk about that, and uh, everything we do is about you know working in that area is being a good team, being a good teammate, good leadership, those yeah. things. And then, I mean, obviously, that team aspect doesn't change. Um, you know, from when you first started to, to now in what you look for in a recruit. But what are some of the things that have perhaps changed over time or you've learned from, from looking at different recruits, like what's going to work for, for the St. Mary's program or not? You know what? Not much. I think, uh, 
I don't think it's – I don't think it's that tricky. I just – I think it's – you want good players. You want good talent. Uh, good talent can come in different ways. You could have a really good athlete. You could have guys really skilled. But I wouldn't uh, – I wouldn't limit myself to either one. Like, find a guy who's a good player that – I think work ethic is huge. I think – I don't think you can get – you can't come close to – your potential if you're not a good worker. So I really study that. And then attitude, two things you really control is your, you control your work ethic, you control your attitude. So I talked to him a lot about that, but I recruited. And uh, how, how do you evaluate that in a recruit? That, that's like what I would think would be tough. Like, is it, yeah, how they compete at, at these different AAU or high school teams? Like, how do you evaluate that? You know, you can evaluate the talent, obviously, by watching. You have to watch and evaluate the talent, da, da, da. But the other one, I, I need to talk to them. I know what it sounds like. Like, I know what it feels like when they, they're workers. Like, just multiple conversations with them. What do they do? What do they do in the office? Like, right now, who's finding a place to play during this coronavirus? Like, who's hustling up? a gym to get into. They may not be playing five on five, but they're finding a way to get in a gym or they're lifting versus the guys that they're not doing anything. And the guys aren't doing anything. But right now I'd be a little concerned about because these other, there's other guys that are working and they're finding ways to get in there and get in the gym. So I think, yeah, just talking to them, getting to know them, what makes them tick. And you can hear it you can you can feel it when you spend time with them. You can get it done on a visit. You can get it done on the phone. I, I want to get to know them, and that'll help me. That really helps on attitude as well. See, I, I, I try not to be too judgmental, but there's certain, there's certain obvious flags. If the guy's got a red flag, is he's gone to four schools in four years, and I don't know if that guy's – going to make it all four years at your school and college either. So there are things like that, that again, it, it, I'm not over the top on it, but I'm paying attention. And they didn't like, like they have negative things to say about their teammates or coaches. I'm going to listen and hear why. And it's not, it's usually not a positive. So uh, you scrub them down. See if they're going to fit. Because for us in our program right now, and always, the worst thing is if a guy transfers. You put a couple years into him when he's supposed to be a, a really good player for him, and he transfers, that kills you if you're trying to run a, a program with four- and five-year guys, a development program where you're banking on guys getting better. That's what we're doing. So it's, uh, it's really important we get the right guy. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you, you've got some great, I guess, under-the-radar recruits that have improved a lot. Uh, they've gone on to become, you know, all WCC players, program greats, Jock, uh, Omar. Uh, what drew you to recruit these guys? And did you know they were going to be that successful coming in? Uh, I'm not going to put you on the spot. You'd be one of those as well. There's not a lot of people that thought you are going to be an NBA point guard out of when you're 18 years old. And so anyhow, there's, there, uh, what draws me to those guys? Usually those things I talked about, I, you, know, you do, there's a number of things, but you, you ask around, you find out, you talk to people who have coached them. You talk to people who coached against them. And I think you get a lot of information right there. Cause if you've coached them, you really know the guy. If you coached against them, you know them pretty well too. You can feel them. You can feel the good ones and you can feel the soft ones. So you got to – I do that a little bit. But the biggest thing is, all right, what's what's this guy's work ethic like? What's his attitude like? Yeah. Is he, does he want to be part of a team? Those, those things. And I mean, there's some, there's some obvious ones that you, you just – you see something you're like, no, nah, that one's not going to work here. So, um, what, like, do, do I see? Did I know Londale would be Londale? Absolutely not. Like when we took him, 
did I know Del Vadova would be a a nine-year pro when we took him? No, I, I no no no, I didn't think that. Um, I thought he'd be, you know, I, I did I know McConnell? McConnell didn't play for us as a played five minutes a game as a freshman, a senior. He's player of the year in our league. So no, I, I you don't know. I really didn't think about it that much. Um, I, I thought they could be good, but you don't know for sure. Yeah. Until you get them and you're working with them. How bad do they want it? How, how much will they sacrifice to be an all league guy or a player of the year guy? And, and some of it, it's mostly that it's mostly work ethic and attitude and, and talent, but it's a lot work ethic and attitude. Yeah. Um, what, what are the, some of the things you track or like the, the key performance indicators when uh, you're tracking players that have been in the program for one, two, three years, like they're heading into their junior or senior year? Like, do you know when a player is going to make a jump like that? Uh, yeah, you can, you can see it coming. I'll just use – so we're always tracking efficiency stuff and the obvious stats. You can, you can study the – we'll study the other, you know, not-so-obvious stats. But just by the obvious stats, you can see it coming. As far as an offensive player, defensively, you can have to use another set of data. But just offensively, you can – it's not that hard. Who, who can make buckets and – who, who makes that, you know, good assist to turnover ratio, shooting good field goal percentages, things like that. You can see it coming. You do your little efficiency rating thing and you'll see it trending up. And you know, after you, we've done it over years, you know what one, all right, this guy, this guy's statting out. This was what Patty Mills was as a freshman. All right, that's what Jordan Ford was as a freshman. So you can use – you can compare uh, player to player, and then you can compare the, the player to himself the year before and see the, see the improvements as far as the jumps that they make. So, yeah, you can – you can do that with your, your players. You can – I can do that with my team. Like, I'm, I have a pretty good idea when we're going to be good. Like, when we're sitting on some guys that are – playing at a certain number and they're returning and well you'll know those guys pretty well you'll know your team pretty well you'll know what they can do all that stuff helps it's going to help you get off to a good start and you can almost predict it unless there's an injury that you'll be pretty good yeah is there is there anyone who um hasn't had a great year the year before but have made a big jump in the summer and you can you've you can tell by statting it out at practice before the season starts that they're about to make a jump based on that and not the previous season. Every year, yeah, happens all the time. Like <laughs> Londale, like freshman year, you wasn't that good. You wouldn't have seen it coming. Sophomore year, you got better, pretty good, but still wouldn't have seen it coming. Then he then he went. I think he played 15 minutes game as a sophomore, and then as a junior, he's one of the best players in the league. But he made he did the work. Yeah, we could see it coming yeah. because in practice nobody could do anything with him, and he started dominating pickup games in the spring. He got some confidence, and then that confidence fed into him working harder and getting in that gym more and getting his body in a little better shape and asking me to buy a Versa climber so they could be in really, you know, really even better shape. He heard that LeBron used it, whatever, things like that. His, his, his wheels were turning on how do I become a better? I want to be better. I, I got a taste of it. And yeah. then, then it was over. So it happens. I, could, I mean, I'm using a guy that we know, but there's other guys that play lesser roles that do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what about the mile? I know that's uh, <laughs> your favorite. Uh, it's definitely not a favorite of mine, but I know it's uh, an important thing in the program. And I think I understand it more now than, than I did even uh, when I was uh, playing there, uh, what you're trying to test and how it, how it all makes sense. Maybe not so much at the time, but 
Can you talk a little bit about the mile and how important that is? So yeah, the mile, miles, you know, our deal. You could you could use a yo-yo test. You could use something else. I don't know, but for us, it was, um, it's a measurement that's pretty accurate. It's going to tell you what kind of condition you're in. It's long enough. You can't just out athlete it, and it's. We have, we, you know, we've done enough. There's, we know what the time is you should be able to make. Some of it's position related, but the, the biggest thing on the mile to me was it was, you're going to show a commitment as a player that you're committed to your team and you're going to come back in shape. And back then we couldn't work with them in the summer. Now that we can, um, it's easier for them to stay in shape because we can work with them in the off season and whether it's just individual workouts. But back when I started, we couldn't. And so this was, this was sitting out there, something they knew they had to do when they came back. Once they came back, yeah, I, it was a leadership piece. It was, hey, I'm going to come back and I'm going to do my part. Everybody's expected to make the mile. I'm going to do my part. I'm not going to let down my teammates. And I thought that was being in shape was important, but doing that for your team, I thought was just as important. Just you're going to show that you're all in. I did my part. We expect everyone to do that. So, yeah, it seems like the times are getting quicker and quicker. I, I see people, I used to be on the board at one point and I've been knocked off, uh, few years ago now are guys getting quicker on that what's going on it's it is a hundred percent that we we can work with them all season now they're not getting any faster don't worry Dale. <laughs> but uh, it, they, they, it helps the best way to get in shapes don't get out of shape and uh that's kind of what goes on now so they're uh yeah they you know what they all they all knock it out now back in the day that some guys missed them that thing yeah yeah uh i never missed it i think i was injured one one year or two years but um made you, were, you were toughing it up five twenty five i think i got a five seventeen was my best uh seventeen that was my best i think um that's a good time for big guard big guard post offs they, they don't believe me that i used to post up at St Mary's. <laughs> Um, I think I could name the, the drills you start at practice still still now, star, weave, rush. How much of what you do as a program is routine versus superstition? I know I have my uh, superstitious routines and, and things that I do. I won't uh, tell you who suggested to ask that question, but what what is the balance between routine and, and superstition, you think? Well, part of it is... Uh... I don't, I, I, trust me, I have plenty of superstitions, mostly game day, but they're, uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to ask you about a few of those, what, what they are. No, uh, I, I, I'm on the high end of crazy on them, so, <laughs> but, uh, they, the practices are, we, we, it's kind of on some of the stuff is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And we've had success with it. I know what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, mostly in those practices, you know the deal. I, I want to get guys warmed up. Without, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to hurt them, so I want to get warmed up before we get to anything real physical or it's five on five or something like that. So we work on skill to get them there, and so most of the stuff we do on the on the first probably 30, 45 minutes practice is straight skill stuff, whether it be, it's going to be passing, dribbling, or shooting. And yeah. uh, so those are the drills, and I think they work to get them warmed up without hurting them, and, and they're getting something done. One of my big deals on, on a practice is players have to enjoy practice. It's a long season and long deal, and uh, so you're balancing those things. You don't want to get them hurt. You want to get them warm. You want to make them better. And you want to make it fun. So most of the, most of our stuff, once we get going, competitive, as you know, keeping score. Uh, yeah. 
something quick and fun and but yet challenging. So, yeah, I wouldn't say it's superstitious. I, I just say it's, I don't like spending time teaching new drills just to have new drills. So, yeah, you know, I want, I want to get them playing in practice and um, make them better. So that's the, the superstition piece comes in on the game. Day. <laughs> Are you going to share any of those or no? Uh, I mean, you got to have the nap. You got to no, no, only water on game days. I can only, I can't have caffeine. Otherwise, you can't get your nap. Got to leave at the same time. Got to say your prayer at the same time. I mean, I got so many. It's, it's out of control. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the game day now. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, always, always. When I played and when I coach, I got to. I have to get them. Some guys don't get them. I don't know how they do it. Me either. Especially during the NBA season when we're getting in at two in the morning. Uh, you have to get after you nap. You have to get a shower. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like you're waking up to start a new day, and you just do another. Oh, thing. I have to. If I didn't get a shower before, and I'm not playing, but if I didn't get a shower after my nap, I I don't think I'd be with it at all. Yeah, you got to wake up a little bit. No question. So yeah, there's plenty of superstitions. Same. Park the same place, hold you. <laughs> um, how, how have the uh, relaxed transfer rules impacted recruiting and also, I guess, players on the existing roster? Because it, it seems like something that's definitely um, just in college basketball in general is, is happening a lot more and there's grad transfers and guys are eligible to play quicker. And what do you think about that? Yeah, so that's a... Uh... That's a really hot topic right now. Good, good question. So that I don't, I don't like it at all. I don't think many coaches do. It's not, they're going to, they're going to pass it here soon where you can in college basketball, you can do this in other sports. So I get where they're coming from. Like if you're in women's soccer and you want to transfer from one college to the other division one, no problem. You transfer. You're eligible immediately the next year. In basketball and football, and I think women's basketball too, you, if you do that, you have to sit out a year unless you get a waiver. And uh, so, but basketball is different than women's soccer or men's soccer. I mean, the recruiting, the amount of money these guys are worth at the top, and it's not just the one and dones, it's, I mean, it's an EJ Rowland for us. It's a, a guy that he, he can make a lot of money overseas for 16 years. So these guys, it's just, I don't want to say it's a bigger deal. It's just a different deal. And so now they're going to, I think they're going to, we'll see. It's trending towards you can transfer and be eligible immediately. And then it's go. So more and more kids are transferring and you can get a waiver easily right now. So it's, it's, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's good for building team culture. I don't think it's good for, I don't, I don't think it's good for college basketball. I don't, I really don't think it's great for kids. I think uh, as soon as something doesn't go their way or gets a little tough, they can just bail out. I don't really like that, but I understand they, in some situations, the kid's not playing. He's behind some other guys that are same age or younger. He's, you know, he, he probably needs to leave because he needs to play. I get that, but I don't see any reason you can't sit out. And uh, extreme hardships, I get that. Like, have a family member that's, you know, close family member that's not doing well. You need to go back and be around that or something. I, I get that, but it's just become more and more, and I don't think it's I don't think it's good. So, for me, the only thing I can control is how I run, how we run our program, and uh, the deal on that is I think you you got to make sure you do even a better job finding guys that are about what your program is about, and we're trying to build a, a family and a program, and 
the trust is two ways. We have to be good to our guys, uh, I think, on the front end. And, and when it's – and, yeah, not not flip it on them. Not recruit – not necessarily – can't – can't just get rid of them when they're not quite the player you thought they were. So things like that, as a coach, you have to do that. What you should do, you should look after your players and treat them like family. And so that doesn't always happen, but I think a coach has a responsibility to do that, make sure they get their degree, make sure they, you know, if that's where they want to be, that was the deal they signed up for, and you may, you try and make work. Maybe they don't play, but they're – they still have their scholarship and you stay with us. So I, I'm rolling more with that. Yeah. And uh, hopefully uh, our, and when we recruit, we're trying to get guys that are into that. And that's what we've done. And I think you can still do it. But it'll be interesting because it's changing. And uh, I think you just have to even do a better job of, of you know, building your culture, selling teams, selling – Great attitude, selling, working hard, leadership. I think same things. You just have to double down, do an even better job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing now with uh, being a head coach, about to go into your 20th season with the Gales, you, you have a large growing coaching tree. A uh, number of former assistants uh, have head coaching jobs. One player, I think, that I know of with uh, – Golden at USF now. Like, what what do you some of the things you look for in an assistant coach, and why have so many gone on to um, not only get head coaching jobs but have great success as well? Uh, yeah, the, the uh, we the reason they've had success is because they're good. Bottom line, like they're good. Wouldn't like we turned them into these great coaches. They had skill sets they were you know sharp guys good leaders um kind of been around it loved it like you guys like you that studied their craft coaching is different than playing you gotta study it and you have a skill set that's uh different than playing and and you gotta work at it so the, that's the reason they've been good or been successful we, we've had some really good ones but the I think the thing St. Mary's done, our program's done, and this is not me, this is all of us, players, coaches, administrators, we've won. We've won, we've won with good guys, and people want a piece of that. So if you, if, if you lose, they're not really knocking on your door for personnel out of your program. But because we've had success and had guys gone on, and been, it's just like players, if players – go on and they're good pros and have won, people are going to want a piece of that. They're going to want those players as part of their team. So same thing as coaching. I mean, ADs, they study their craft and they're looking and you have a guy like Kyle Smith who was here nine years and helped, you know, helped build this program. And he's went to Columbia and turned that program did well, did went to USF, did a good job there. Now he's at Washington state that helps the next guy. Yeah. Like then Rick, you know, Rick Croy goes and does his thing. And Marty Clark does what he does in Australia and um, Adam Caporn and Ron. So I think uh, there, that's what people want to want to be. They want a piece of success. So they, they know that it's no different than us trying to find a guy off a really good team or finding a coach that's a really good coach. And uh, so I think that's the deal. I, I, I will tell you this. It's, the, it's probably that and seeing your players grow up, become dads, leaders, might be coaches, but uh, seeing your, your assistants and your staff go on to become head coaches, Super gratifying, and uh, yeah, you're just happy to see them get the opportunity that you did. You as being in the business as long as I've been in it, you know how hard it is. It's hard as heck to get one of these jobs. So when you see one breakthrough, you're so pumped for them. And then they do the second hardest thing after getting it is keeping. 
yeah. and, and so when they do well, you just you're proud of them, and uh, players same thing. Like you see them, and they want to be whatever pros, and they make it, and then they they double down, they keep getting better, and then they they're when they come back and tell you that they appreciated being part of the program and it, it helping them get to where they got to. It's that's the best. Those are the two best things. It's bigger than any of the wins. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty awesome. And then uh, a close third might be uh, some of these alumni weekends. And uh, we recently had the, the 2010 Sweet 16 reunion. What, what do you enjoy about most about getting former players and, and teams back together and, and their families now on, on campus or uh, at your house on the hill for some tacos? By the way, we're due for one of those. I don't, I'm a little ticked off they moved these Olympics back because I was planning on it next year. <laughs> I may have to wait one more year and then I'll have to deal with Kicker saying he's too old to play and EJ saying he doesn't want to get hurt. So <laughs> all those things. But uh, yeah, that's, that's a part of what I was just saying. Like seeing, seeing guys uh, as they get older and become dads and husbands and priorities priorities change a little bit but having them come back and and being part of this family which is one of the main things that you want as a coach is to for it to be a program a family that they have to come back to even when they're 40 50 years old and and that's what we have and we've been able to bring obviously having the guys that I've coached is even more uh, special to me, but even the guys that went before us and to have them back and have them part of it and feel that this is their program as well. That's kind of what I wanted is, Hey, this is it's in my program. This is you guys program. So you guys have done what you've done, the players to make it special so that you can have it for the rest of your, you know, rest of your lives. And so we've, we're lucky. We, we have the right kind of guys that have done that. St. Mary's is kind of built for that, by the way, just the yeah. small private school and, and tight relationships. Uh, a lot of, a lot of you guys uh, end up finding your wife at this school, playing on another team <laughs> and whatnot. So, um, Anyhow, all that part is all that is part of building a family and and them and getting to see it happen and them coming back and just saying thanks. So yeah, make, make sure you don't miss this next alumni game. I don't want to hear any excuses. You've been nails on it. You've got you've been <laughs> nails. You're there every year. So as long as it doesn't clash with the Olympics, I, I think I'll be there. So no, I schedule around you and you and Mills. <laughs> Um, I, I know there's, I mean, so many memorable moments that you could uh, pick from, but could you give me a couple of si significant ones that you think have altered the course of a season or, or maybe the, the trajectory of the program? You trying to get me to bring up the Delva Dagger? No, no. <laughs> you, you can exclude, exclude uh, that. <laughs> that was a big one, by the way. Yeah, I, I still uh, cop a bit of heat in Utah when we play there over that, I think. <laughs> Crazy how many people still remember that thing. But, uh, yeah, you know what? There were there's some little watershed moments along the way. And I thought, like, our, our first time, I, our the, my fourth year here, it took us a while to build that thing back up. But my fourth year, we broke through and got back in the NCAA tournament. That was a big deal. Like, I think we still would have got to where our program is, but you maybe don't if you don't break through that year. Because the next two years, we lost a lot of those guys, and we had to build it with freshmen and build it, you know, with, with new young guys, which is the route we went, which was was more solid. But just I remember beating Gonzaga for the first time. And uh, Marigny went off and had third. I, I can remember that game like it was um, yesterday. So yeah. it was a it was a big one. Then I think there's plenty of other ones. Any any time you go to the tournament, you remember those. But 
Then the, the uh, year, freshman year, 2010, we went Sweet 16. Obviously, that one, you know, was, was a, it was a big one for our program. Just beating Villanova to get the Sweet 16, that whole deal. People did not see that coming, as you remember. Like, Patty left as a sophomore. He was supposed to be a junior that year. But we lost off the year before, which was a very good team. We lost six guys, and people pretty much had written us off. And because Mickey wasn't Mickey yet, he was just a role guy off the bench. And Omar was good, but they didn't see that one coming. And then, you know, they just didn't see you coming as a you know a good starter as a freshman. And they, you know, Benny Ben Allen had been sitting on the bench for his whole career, and now all of a sudden he's a good starter, and all fit together. So that was a huge one, I think. Uh, are there any specific moments from that year, like like a regular season game or, or like a pre-conference game or a moment or anything like that that um, when you look back on those seasons? Because, I mean, everybody remembers uh, the tournament or... Yeah, there's lots of them, like in each one. And, and there's a lot of individual plays that you remember. But, like, the the... First time we went, I just I remember <laughs> I remember Marigny going off in that game, and you could just feel it like the place was electric, and everybody knew what was at stake. Chance to you know knock down the champ, and uh, so you had to have you had to break through on that, and guys had to have enough confidence and belief that they could do that, and then obviously uh, beating Villanova in that game. Like you and Mickey hitting two kind of crazy shots that were huge shots, and um, all the things that went with that. And then you know, on a lot each year, you can remember the big, the big moments of each year on a big year, big season. One of our biggest was uh, two years ago when we won the conference championship, and that was a huge one because we. We uh, we needed that to get back in the tournament. We needed that game to get in the tournament. I don't know if we make the tournament otherwise. And so to knock off number one, Gonzaga at the time, in a game people didn't think we had any chance. And so those are some of the big ones. There's, there's so many of those type situations that, you know, you've had 19 years. You're going to have – you're going to have a lot of them. We have. And uh, so anyhow, those were – those were three of the biggies, but I think you usually associate it with your, your years that were special seasons. Yeah. Do you ever go back and watch uh, not just the highlights, but like the full uh, game tape of any of those? Never. <laughs> I mean, during the year, like when you're, when you're in that year, you do like, hey, let's see what we did last game. But just to watch them, I never did. It's weird, but I'll, I'll have plenty of, day, plenty of those to watch when, uh, when retirement hits. <laughs> I'll do something. Yeah. What, who, who are some of the most influential people uh, in your circle? You know, the guys that I played for, and I think early in your career, earlier in, earlier in, earlier in your coaching life, I think those guys, for whatever, whatever reason, are the, the ones that impact you the most. I know they were for me. And uh, my high school coach, Bud Doolin, was, uh, he, he, taught, he, he, was, he was good for me. Like, I needed him. And uh, just basketball-wise and just helping me to be more unselfish, things like that. So. He was, uh, my dad was, and I played, I ended up playing for my dad, but just being around, my dad was coach, so I was always around it. Even when you don't think he was impacting you, he was, because you're always around. So, um, and then a guy named Roy Shuri, who I played for, and then I coached with, he was just a, a legend of a coach in Arizona. He's a dear friend, but older guy that is a, uh, heck of a coach so he did and then uh the guy I first started coaching with Hank Egan was he was really uh 
really important to me. And he was, he just taught, he taught me the craft as far as college coaching. I really, I had no, I didn't know what I was doing as far as division one coaching. So anyhow, I learned from him. He's such integrity. He's a really good, really good coach. And uh, I learned, I think he's huge. All these guys are guys that look up to a lot. And if I had a tough decision to make, I'd, I'd bounce it off them. And there's been others. I mean, I work with, Tim Floyd, he was huge my first two years, and he kind of taught me the roadmap in this business. Um, he's really good. I'm good friends with him. And I was lucky enough to work with uh, Lorenzo, Romar, and Brad Hall, and all those guys. If you work with it, you work underneath them, you'll learn stuff from them. Those guys were – they were later. So, I, like, what I kind of thought should happen was already in my mind. And uh, from who I played for and then who I worked with my first seven years as a, as a Division One assistant. Other than that, I, I tell you what, I learned a lot from – after that, once I became head coach, it's just more from your assistants. They, yeah. I mean, they're bringing stuff all the time. You're working with them. It's not like I'm telling them what to do. They're telling me what to do just as much as I'm telling them what to do. So – it, like Kyle and like Lamont, Rick, Ron, all those guys, all, all uh, Marty Clark, learned a lot from all of them. But those other the, – the, the guys I was with early on are kind of – if you ask me who were the guys that, you know, really impacted me as a coach the most, it would be those guys I mentioned at the beginning. Yeah. No, that's really cool. And You, you do it long enough – <laughs> There's too many guys to mention in one one little uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, I I understand, but that that's cool. Knowing, uh, especially at the beginning. I mean, that's I guess where you build your your blueprint. Um, that, that's cool. Um, my last question for you: um, Do you think about retirement? And I I mean I think you've got. I mean you're obviously still doing a great job. And if 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 and when you do. What would the best version of that look like? Yeah, so I do. <laughs> Every time we lose a game, I think about retirement. <laughs> so it, it motivates me to try and uh, prepare better so I don't have to think about it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting there where, yeah, I, I think I, I want to – I got a lot more left in me. But you think about, hey, what do you – what do you mean? I put it this way. I've coached longer. I've co been a head coach longer than I have left. I know that much. Probably by a lot. But uh, I will, I will, I, I think about it just to think about, hey, what, what am I going to do? Where am I going to live? Uh, one of the deals is get, you know, get, get your kids through college. So uh, you think about all that stuff, not because I don't like coaching, but just, it's inevitable. You got to start thinking about it. Anybody in the age bracket I'm in, it starts thinking about what are you going to do after this? And uh, knock on wood, hopefully it's my choice. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it will be. Like uh, you never know. It's crazy world. Uh, where do you see yourself uh, retiring? Are you going to pick up golf or uh, any other hobbies, or are you going to you know stay around the game and become an assistant maybe like what what do you think oh no i i'll be out what's <laughs> up out i'm out it's uh yeah i'm not i'm not doing any of this assistant i'm not sure i'd be a good assistant anymore <laughs> but uh just enjoy enjoy another part of life uh you, you this will be my 36th year of yeah, about 36 years of coaching this year because I started as soon as I was out of out of done playing college, and uh, so that's that's a that's a lot of years. So I want to hopefully be healthy and uh, just kind of enjoy life and golf. Golf's in the picture. Golf, take care of my take care of my body for a change. Uh, just enjoy some things that whatever, whatever yeah. it is. It's just maybe go see some other places during the winter. 
Maybe go once. <laughs> Basketball takes you out and all this stuff. I just know one thing. It'd be nice just being relaxed going into Christmas. You <laughs> don't have conference coming up. Uh, no, that's awesome. Well, uh, I really appreciate your time today. That, that was a lot of fun and uh, good luck this upcoming season. Deli, great job. Thanks for having me on. Can't wait to watch your podcasts. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening. I'd love to hear what you think of this episode as I'm always looking for ways to improve and make the show even better. You can leave a review at The Deli Podcast in iTunes or within Apple's podcast app. Really appreciate your feedback. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to my podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, or wherever else you tune in to listen. Talk to you next week.